We ended in a rush and a tumult, kind of like the text did this morning, as I was running out of time explaining how Samson's triumphant death was really, it was one moment, it was the one moment of shining faith in Samson's life. The book of Judges lists Samson as a man of faith. We didn't see any evidence of it, starting in chapter 14, when he was just a young man with the Spirit of the Lord stirring his heart. And impulsive, reckless, disregarding the Word of God, disregarding the Nazarite vow, he seemed to just to live by the very senses, the five senses that God had gifted him. And yet God over and over and over gave him supernatural strength of the Holy Spirit to accomplish miraculous things, ripping a lion apart like it's a young goat, picking up a jawbone of a donkey and slaying a thousand Philistines, picking up the gates gates of, of Gaza and carrying them on his shoulder uphill some 40 miles to the hills of Hebron. On and on, uh, until finally that really triumphant moment where his death really pictured the death of Jesus Christ. I think more than anybody else in the Old Testament. And I think everybody living in Israel, having the book of Judges, they would be reading page after page in Judges saying, this is pathetic. We need, we need a better judge. We need a perfect judge. We need a judge who will not just deliver temporarily and not just an external em- enemy, but we need a judge who will take away the enemy of our heart, the idolatry that is in our heart because of sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the presence of sin. We need a judge. And then when you read Samson and how he was betrayed by a friend, Delilah, or at least one who acted like a friend. And then how he was arrested and chained and tortured, just like Jesus. And then how he was forced to entertain to the crowds, just like Jesus. How he died with outstretched arms, just like Jesus. And how the enemy thought they won when they had Samson in front of them. But through Samson's death, he showed God reversed the whole thing and the Philistines lost, and the God of Israel won. And when Jesus Christ died, everybody thought, God lost. I mean, there, there's the Messiah, crucified, dead. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, having victory over all the enemy. And he now sits at the highest point, higher above every name, above every creature, and he will come back, and he will forever rule and reign with grace, truth, and mercy. What a Savior. Isn't it beautiful? So really, the book of Judges ends with Samson. But we have five chapters left. Why the five chapters? Why not just end it with that? Because God wanted us, you and I, to look into the life of Israel and see what was it that the judges were rescuing them from. So we want to know, what was it that the judges had to rescue the people of Israel from? Their own idolatrous hearts. So we have now, in the last five chapters, two stories. All right? It's neat how God's, God's word is so beautiful. It is so perfect. Um, listen, everybody. Do you understand what a treasure this is? What, a tr- what the treasure of God's word is? It is God's special revelation to you and I about how we are to live. How are we to worship? What are we to do? How are we saved? What does it mean? What are the benefits? I mean, all of this. 
It, it is found in here. And if we didn't have this, we would be lost. We would have no direction. The Word of God is critical to our lives. Absolutely. In order to please God, in order to know Him, we have to know His Word. Now, they did in the days of Judges have God's Word. They had, they had at least the books of Moses. We know that. Right? So what we do is we get two chapters. We're not going to be able to get through both chapters tonight, but we have two chapters regarding a Levite in Bethlehem. And then we begin the second part. This is Judges chapters 19 through 21 with a different Levite in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, where Jesus was born. And he's got another issue going on in his life. So we're going to look at the story of two Levites. And can I say this? You are going to be shocked at 7 o'clock tonight. You, I think I'm going to, unless you read ahead, or you probably have, as to who these two Levites are. You will be, I think, just absolutely shocked of the two Levites. Who, because the Bible doesn't name them until the very end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Judges, and particularly now, Judges 17 and 18, where we really see what life is like for a people who disregard your word and live life as if it's right in their own eyes. It leads them into idolatry, destruction, division, despair, murder, envy, strife, everything. It is nothing but evil, rampant wickedness and evil when people do not align themselves with your truth, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for giving us this text, which really shows the heart of man without a Savior. We are thankful that Jesus came and he died for us. And we have new life in him. We are new creatures. And we can respond by faith and joy in your word. And we can seek not to go our own direction or compromise our faith or your word, but hold fast to sound doctrine. Thank you for the word of God tonight. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. So I'm thinking, how do I tell you the story? I could read it, but that would take a long time. So I thought, why don't I tell you the story first? And then we'll go back and we'll, we'll go to the scriptures and kind of see how it all laid out. Is that good? So I think it's going to be easiest if I just tell you the story so you know what's coming up. Then we go to the scripture and we make applications as we go throughout the narrative. So here's the story. Before, as we get into Judges chapter 17, two things have already taken place. All right? There's a young man named Micah, but he's not a child. He's a, he's a grown man. So remember him, Micah. His name means, who is like my, my Lord? Who is like my Lord? Micah. It's a great name. So he's living at home with his mom. We don't know anything about the dad. But what we know in Judges 17 is he has stolen 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother. Uh, All right, so he's broken the Eighth Commandment. He has broken the Fifth Commandment. He has not honored his parents, and he has also stolen from his mom. Right? So two commandments broken right away. So he has stolen this quantity of silver from his mom, and while he's in the house... He hears the mother say this. The mother says, I curse whoever stole my money. All right, now Mike is concerned. He's superstitious and he's thinking, oh no, my mom just cursed the thief. She doesn't know it's me, but I'm the thief. So I'm going to say I'm sorry. So he goes in, mom, I'm sorry, I took your money. Sorry about that. And the mom says, oh, the Lord bless you to kind of remove the curse. Then the mom says, 
listen, I will dedicate this 1,100 shekels of silver, which is a huge sum. I will dedicate this to the worship of the Lord. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds good to me. So she gave 200 shekels. Hey, wait a minute. If, if, if 1,100 was dedicated to the Lord and she only gave two, what happened to the other nine? Mama po- pocketed it, right? Coles has a sale or whatever. So she, even though she says, I dedicate this all to the Lord, she keeps, all, she keeps 900 for herself and gives only two. She gives it to Micah, who then fashes, fashions an idol, makes it out of wood, hammers it with metal, and sets it up in his own little shrine in his house. <coughs> all right? And then, hey, if I, if, I, if I want to do this right, I have to get a priest. But there's no priest up in the hills of Ephraim, so I'm going to have my young son, he'll be the priest for the house. Like that? He's making his own religion, making his own rules. Hey, he's taking some of God's word, like the tabernacle, the worship, the priest, and he's putting it into his house and making it extremely convenient for him, isn't it? Very convenient. So he has this. Now the next phase, that's scene one. Now scene two, there's a Levite in Bethlehem. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. There's a Levite in Bethlehem, and he gets wanderlust, and he thinks, I'm, I'm done with Bethlehem. I need to go make some more money. I've got to find a prophet in ministry. So he leaves Bethlehem, and he's walking around, walking around, and he happens to come to the hills of Ephraim, and he comes to Micah's house. And Micah's like, hey, what are you doing here? And the Levite said, well, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem looking for a job. You got a job for a Levite? And Micah thinks, hmm, my son should not be a priest. He's not old enough, and he's not qualified. He's... But you know what? A Levite is as close to a priest as we want to get to God's word. So, hey, would you be a priest for me? I'll hire you for 10 shekels and a change of clothes. 10 shekels a year and a change of clothes. And so the priest thinks about it. Hey, that's not a bad, that's not a bad wage. I get room and board. I get 10 shekels. Okay, I'll do it. Hire me as your priest. All right, so you see what's going on in the days of the judges? It's just, it's bad. It's really bad. It's compromise of God's word all over the place. Well, then what happens is there's five men. That's scene two. You with me now? Let's talk scene three, and then that's the end of the story. Scene three is this. There's five men from the tribe of Dan. Now, God gave Dan a certain portion of the promised land. Like, you had borders. If you were of the tribe of Dan... God had said through the casting of lots, Dan, you get this specific piece of property. Go and conquer it. I will empower you to conquer it. Dan could not conquer their land. They had no faith and no power of the Lord. They were that wicked, that bad. And so now they're without a a land. They, They don't have their own property. So they begin to wander. These five men are thinking, we've got to find a piece of property that's easy to take over. We don't want to have to work for that piece of land with the power of God on our side. No, let's go find another cheap piece of property. So they're going around, and where do they end up? At Micah's house. So they end up at Micah's house, and they're like, hey, Micah, you have a priest, you have a little tabernacle, and you have all these um, idols. That's quite a setup. Could you ask your priest if, as we go find land, that God would bless us? And the priest comes out and says, the Lord bless you as you go. He'll, he'll provide for you, whatever. And so the five men are happy. So they go up north, north Israel now. They keep traveling north, and they find a city called Laish. And the city is at peace. 
They're farmers. The moms and dads are growing things in the field. They're raising their children. They're going to school. It's a happy little region. No enemies. Lots of good, good resources. So the five men go back to the tribe of Dan and say, you guys, we found primo property. It's up there in Laish. Let's go get it. So with 3,000 people, 600 armed men and women and children, they're going to go up to take land that God never gave them. And so as they go, where do they stop? They stop by Micah's house. Makes sense, right? It's kind of a common path. They stop at Micah's house, and do you know what the tribe of Dan says? We want everything that Micah has. We want the ephod, we want the idols, and we want the priest. So they said to the priest, would you rather be the priest for one family, or would you rather have a ministry with the whole tribe? And of course, the, the priest is willing easily, the Levite is easily wanting to get more money. Hey, is 10 shekels a lot? You bet. But what if this guy offers 50 shekels? Hey, I'll go with 50 shekels. So the, the Levite says, okay, I'll leave Micah and come with you. Easy to change ministries, as long as I'm getting paid for it. And then they go in and they raid Micah's house. They take the 200 shekels of silver idol that they made, takes the ephod, wipes him clean, and heads north. Okay, can I ask you, what's Micah going to do about this when he comes home and finds out his worship shrine is empty? Well, what he does is he calls up some of his servants and friends. They chase after the Danites. They stop him on the trail and said, Hey, why'd you steal the things from my house? Those were mine. That priest, he's mine. That idol, it's mine. And the people of, what did the people of Dan say? Um, do you have a problem with us? Because if you ever talk to us like that, we're going to kill you. And we'll kill you, and we're going to kill your family, and we'll, do, we'll just destroy you. Because we're 3,000 people, and you're nobody. And so what does Micah do? He has no choice. He goes home. Broke. Stole. Robbed. Right? And you know what the Danites do? They take this priest, they go up to Laish, and they slaughter that whole area. They slaughter them. Kill them in cold blood. Unarmed, defenseless people going about their business. They go in and take over that whole land, and that became their land. And God never said it was their land. They just took it. Okay, that's the story. Isn't it ugly? The destruction of a family, the disregard of the priesthood, and then the absolute slaughter of a whole region called Laish in the north. What is going on? Okay, so let's go back and apply it. Look at me at Judges 17. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, on which you had put a curse, even saying it in my ears... Here's the silver with me. I took it. All right, there's his confession. Mom, I took the 1,100 shekels of silver. I overheard you cursing the thief, and I don't want the curse. But listen, you guys, this is not like a young boy who does something wrong, confesses with a genuine broken heart, and the mom graciously forgives and restores to, to fellowship. That's not what's going on. Micah is simply saying, Man, I'm sorry I got caught. I don't want some type of super, superstition curse on me, Mom. So, um, hey, I'm just going to confess. You, you take it back. Just don't curse me. You see, they're not looking at the Word of God at all. They've got like voodoo Hebrew going on here. Curses, blessings, nothing according to God's Word. No genuine... You can tell the family's already messed up. They're already way off from what a family living with the Lord would would be like. Uh, So verse 5, And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Again, 
They're tossing blessings and curses out like candy. They have no idea what they're saying as they invoke God in in an oath or a blessing. And then, verse 3, So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord. Now notice, this is the God of Israel that she's giving the money to. It's not like they have forgotten or rejected the one true God of the Bible. They haven't. They call on his name. They give blessings in his name. They, he's a part of their life, but it's not, he's not the center, and his word isn't their authority. What is their authority? We'll find out in just a minute. It says here, let's keep going. I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. I think it's just one image. Carved image. They made it out of wood and then covered it with metal. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. So, listen to this. Verse 4. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver, not the full amount, and gave them to the silversmith. See, you know, if you have a religion, it's really easy to disregard God's word and hold a lot of things back, right? You know that most people in a religion, they go to church and it's a Sunday morning thing. They go in, they clock their time, they check out and say, wow, I'm glad I did that. That was the longest boring hour in the whole week. But at least I got it done. Now I can go off and have my own life Monday through Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, I'm going to put my penance in. I'm going to have to suffer through that one unbearable hour. Um, And by the way, I'll put a $5 bill in the plate, but don't expect any more than that. And I'm going to get that checked off my list. But hey, it's God. He's worth it. It's foolish, isn't it? When you understand that Jesus Christ paid all of our sins, suffered like an eternity in the lake of fire, whatever that would feel like, rise from the dead and give us eternal life, uh, he is worthy of, of way more than a little bit of lip service in an hour on a Sunday. you agree? But that's what's going on in Israel during the time of the judges. And it says, this image was in the house of Micah. Verse 5. The man Micah had a shrine. Take your Bibles. Go with me to Deuteronomy 12. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 12. Micah had a shrine in his house. God said, you do not just worship me anywhere you want. You do not just do anything you want when you come to me. You come to me exactly like I ask. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Who's in charge, everybody? God's in charge. And if God makes the rules, who can, dis- who, who can go against him? <coughs> Nobody. He's, he's the absolute authority. God said, there's one place on earth I want you to worship me, and you come to me with the right sacrifice and with the right heart and with the right priest, and you don't have an option. This is not get your own way to God day. This is I have one way to approach me, and it's this way. For salvation, there's absolutely only one way to approach the Father, and it is through Jesus Christ. His death, his substitutionary death for our sins, and his bodily resurrection on the third day, that is the only way to get to to the Father. You understand that, right? And any other religion and any other church that teaches something different is a lie, and it is of the devil. It is not of God. It is of the devil. Any church that does not preach grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is evil, is demonic. It is wrong. And I say that firmly and fully, because God prescribed the only way of salvation, and it is not up for us 
with our own understanding and wisdom and reason to decide how we want to approach him. You can't do that. God doesn't accept that. So look at Deuteronomy 12, verse 2. Deuteronomy 12, 2. You shall utterly, this is God's command. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess as they enter the promised land, um, you destroy all the places where, the, where those nations serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. All right. Okay, class, let's say this is an education time. God just said destroy all altars of pagan gods. How many should we leave left? How many, how, how many should we leave remaining? Zero. Like every single altar should be smashed, crushed, burned to the ground, and forgotten, Right? If you leave one altar remaining, are you obeying God? You are not. You are now saying, God, your word is not as important or as authoritative as you want it to be. I'm going to do my own thing. He goes on. Verse 3, And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. You don't use those things in the worship of God. You destroy them, you burn them, you forget about them, but you do not entertain them and use them. Verse 5, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Hey, who is choosing the place of worship? God is. They don't, they don't have an option of, hey, you, oh, you know what? The tabernacle doesn't look so good there. Let's put it by these beautiful palm trees over here. Oh, yes, you know what? Let's put it over here because here's a nice little sandy spot. I mean, you, you, don't, you can't do that. God says, I want my tent here. No questions asked. Just do it. You don't have an option. Isn't that funny? I mean, it, it's common sense to us. God said one place, the place where the Lord, and by the way, he can change it if he wants. It's in Shiloh for a hundred years. And then God says to David, hmm, move my ark. I want to live in Jerusalem. Okay, I'll do it. You said it. I'll do it. And then even he didn't do it right. God said, carry the ark of the covenant on poles. Do not set it on a cart. He set it on a cart. Bad, bad choice. Do you see? Do you, do you guys understand how important God's word is for our church? Because if we get off just a little, it is devastating to our families, to our faith, and and to all that God would do in Hermantown. It is that serious. That is why we need you. We need you to earnestly contend for the faith, the scriptures that God has given us. You don't listen, we don't have an option as to how to worship and approach God. He prescribed it and we do it. Let's keep going in Deuteronomy twelve. He says this. You shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. Hey, is it convenient if I live way down south to go to the tabernacle? No. I've got to walk. I'm going to have to buy a pair of new sandals. I'm going to have to rent a donkey. I'm going to have to pack a lunch. It is not convenient. Why do I want to go to Shiloh which is 70 miles away from my house, when I could have a shrine right in my house. Why? Because God said, go, do it. You don't have a choice. Get up out of your chair, stop looking at the, rem- uh, the TV with the remote, 
and you get in your chariot and you get up to the tabernacle on the day that I say and you show up with the right sacrifice in your hands. And by the way, do it with the right heart. (laughs) Easy, right? This is what God requires. This is not what's happening in the day of the judges. And can I tell you this? This is not what's happening in the church today. You want to know what the church is saying? Oh, love supersedes all things. So we'll accept not just a man and a woman, but we'll accept a man and a man in marriage. And we'll accept a woman and a woman in marriage because who is to say two people cannot love each other? Who says that? That's not, they love each other. Look, they got a twinkle in their eyes. Certainly that's good. Hey, who can say love is not a good thing? If, you're, if you can't say love is a good thing, then you're a hater, and haters have no place in this place. But what does God say about such things? God says, no way, you cannot do that. But what are churches doing? Folding left and right. on. Uh, listen, on every single topic, from, you name it, you can go from any type of standard that God prescribes. And again, I'm not talking personal preference. We all have personal preferences. My preference is I like to wear a tie. I like to wear a suit. I don't have to. But I want to. I mean, that's, that's just my personal preference. I don't mandate everybody do that or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? But there are things that God says, do this and no other. And we better get this right, people. Well, let's go back to Judges 17 because of our time. Verse 5. The man Micah had a shrine. Bad choice. And he made an ephod. A really bad choice. By the way, what judge made an ephod as well? Gideon. The man, Gideon, made an ephod. And that ephod became a snare to the whole, to the whole, to the whole nation. You know, but hey, wait a minute. Do churches have sacred cows as well? Yeah, I mean, do we have to have an actual physical cross in the building? Do we have to have this? Can we put it in the back room? Yes, we can. Are we still worshiping God and loving Him? Yes. All right? So, um, but you know what? You move the cross in, I'll tell you what, you're going to make some people really mad. And they are going to be out of joint, and they will be on fire. Because you don't touch that. You don't ever touch that. That needs to be in the church. Hmm. Okay. Um, wow. Do we, need to have, do we need to have chairs? No. We don't have to have chairs. There's no requirement for that. So uh, if we end up living in a cave and we have worship in a cave, God is acceptable with that, right? But we don't tamper with truth as God has given it and revealed it to us in the text. All right, so this is Micah. He has a shrine, he makes an ephod, and then he has household idols, plural, so he has many of them. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Again, I could take you to the text. We don't have time. But God said, the Levites are a separate group you can, not just anybody can be a Levite. You've got to actually have blood from Levi. Oh, and by the way, Levites are not priests. Every Levite is not a priest. The only priests are Levites who come from Aaron. So Levi is here, and all of his children are Levites. And they're involved in spiritual sacrifice and service. They don't get any property. They have to live in certain cities called Levitical cities. Bethlehem is not a Levitical city. Do you see the problem with this priest already? He's living in a city where he shouldn't be living. But again, 
He's compromised so much in his life. Does it really matter if he's living in Bethlehem? Not according to him. But God said, no, Levites, I want you to live in these cities. I want you to preach and teach God's word. Make sure everybody around your little village knows my truth. And then offer spiritual sacrifices at the temple and you do the music and all of that. But only the people of Aaron are priests. If you're not of Aaron, you are not a priest. This guy is not a, I will show you why this guy right here is not a priest. And yet he's acting as a priest. Foolish. Okay, do you see what's going on? The Bible says women should not be pastors in the church. Women should not lead. Um, But wait a minute, that is sexist. Isn't that a, is that what the world, do you know what the world would say if they heard that that, um, women do not have a place of leading and ruling over men in the church? Uh, That would be a big scandal. But that's what God says. Do women have many wonderful and and absolutely vital places to serve in the church? Absolutely. But that isn't one of them. I mean, but there's compromise all over the place going on. So let's continue on. It says here, this person, this Levite, became his priest, or his son, sorry, became his priest. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is the definition of idolatry. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, so that's the Bethlehem where Jesus was born. He was a Levite. Notice, he was not an Aaronite. He was a Levite, and I can prove that in a minute. He was staying there. Uh, the man departed from the city of Bethlehem and Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Well, he's wanting some more money. He's wanting a better position and all of that. Listen, it is easy in ministry to think, oh, if I just had a bigger church, if I just had a bigger paycheck, if I just had more of a, if I just had something that this tiny little place doesn't give me, man, I'll sell my heart and go anywhere in a second. I mean, that happens in ministry all the time. It does. I mean, come on. If they offer me a big church with, a, with my own a private jet, uh, I'll stay with you. But, um, but do you see what I'm saying? I mean, this Levite, he's in it for the money. They're like offering him, hey, come here and we'll give you your own private jet. And uh, we'll, give you, we'll give you the fanciest rings and cufflinks, and you're going to be the shiniest star on the platform. And the, and the Levite jumps at it. Well, he comes to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. He journeys, and Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, hey, dwell with me, and be a father and a priest to me. You notice, uh, he's, he's a closer priest than the son is, but he's still not the real deal. So stop your compromise, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man. Why? Because he was getting what he wanted. He got paid for his ministry. Um, hey, a lot of, you know, I've had some nursing homes call me up and say, Pastor, would you do a service at our nursing home? I'll be sure. You know, when, do you, when, when do you need me? And they'd be like, well, how much do you charge? And I'm like, um, I, I don't charge for ministry. I don't charge for weddings. I don't charge for funerals. I don't charge for church services. You know, I'm not charging you all for this church service. You are paying me, not, not so that I can preach to you. You are paying me so I have time in my week to study God's word and pray so I can deliver to you that which I have learned and studied in the scriptures. And then part of that ministry is also counseling and one-on-one and all sorts of things. But you are not paying me to preach. You know that, right? You are not paying me to preach. This is not a paid position. You know, this is a calling of God. You are giving me resources like the Bible says you ought to. So I have time devoted to the ministry of prayer and the word. But what do most people in the church think? 
We're paying the pastor. You ought to be doing it. Um, okay, what about you? The Bible says you're supposed to be doing those things too. <laughs> All right. So we got to get that straight. And we keep on going. Dwell with me and be a father and a priest. And then the Levite went in. He's content to dwell with man. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite. And the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. See what he's saying? Hey, if I do this, this, and this, God's going to like me and he's going to respond favorably to me. And so I checked all the boxes. God has no choice. He now owes me goodness. He is trying to take God and make God one of his pocket idols and control God, the God of the universe. And God says, I will not have that. You cannot do that to me. There's two philosophies real quick. You know what pragmatism is? Pragmatism says, if it works, it's good. And that is a lie. There are many things that might work. Hey, I could draw a huge crowd, in the, I could draw a huge crowd next week in this place. By doing some very ungodly things, I could fill this place. Well, not with the right people that God would want, but I certainly could fill it. And I bet you I could uh, charge admission and, and get a lot of money. But um, that's not what God has called the church to do, right? So we have to be really careful about, about our ministry because I think God is looking at the church age like he looked at the judges, Wow, churches are doing what is right in their own eyes. They're not taking heed to my word. They have not researched my word to look at what does my word say. And they're simply doing what they think is right in their eyes. And since it's had success, they're going to continue that process. And God says, uh, that is not acceptable. You know, you, listen, you guys, I know a lot of churches that take the latest fad book and make it their topic of study. Really? You mean God's word is not enough to have a topic of study? I need to have what somebody wrote about something to become the, to- the shack? Yeah, let's have a nine-week study on the shack. Um, no way. The shack is heretical. No way. I don't care how cute and clever you think the book is. God is so tangible and touchable. God the Father is a, a black woman, I believe, and she's pretty mouthy. Um, that is the very wrong picture of God the Father. He is not mouthy, and he doesn't act like that. Um, the Holy Spirit is not some floating thing in a shimmery garment that uh, jokes, and, and the Godhead is in the kitchen cooking dinner, and they're slamming each other with some... some th- uh, no, that is not my Godhead. That is idolatry. You are trying to make God into your own image, foolish people, right? And yet, I'll tell you what, this is sad. If I were to say... Faith Baptist is offering a nine-week course on the shack, you would get a lot of people here curious about how close and touchy-feely God really is. But God isn't pleased. And there's no spiritual growth. And people will not be saved. And they will be as hopeless and in much despair when the next trial hits. We have something far better in God's Word. So let me give you just some quick, applic- some quick applications. Number one, The cost of obedience is always easier than the cost of disobedience. There is a much higher price tag for the cost of disobedience. Micah and his mom, no matter how cute the story is, they are disobedient, and it will have a tremendous cost, not only on their souls, but on the poor people of Laish, who don't even know that coming a day from now, the Danites are going to come and slaughter them and their babies. 
so they can have their own property that they want because they weren't happy with what God gave them. Do you see? The cost of disobedience has a high, high price tag. High price tag. Number two. Um, we cannot stray from God's word. Which is why we're here on a Sunday night. Are we here on a Sunday night so we can be more religious? No. We want to find out what does God have for the church age? What are we to do? How are we to respond? Um, what does the life of Christ look like? How do we share the gospel? I mean, these are all the answers that are, be, are questions that are being answered through God's word at our various services as we publicly give uh, worship and praise to Jesus Christ. But we do not stray from God's word. Listen, I have had to take some strong stands about many doctrines and many things in the last 20 years, and it is not easy. It, is, it hurts, and it's painful because I like people to be happy. And I will guarantee people are not happy when I say, this is what God said, so there. They flip out, as you know. Um, I guess I have no choice but to say, too bad. Uh, this is where we have to stand. And um, not in a mean way, but just in a matter-of-fact way. And then, uh, third, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is death. You may think you're going your own way and doing your own thing, and, and God is blessing you, but if it doesn't line up with God's word, the end is death. Not loss of salvation. That Proverbs, I think it's fourteen twelve. That there is a way that we can do things that we think we're right just because there's no issues or problems or everybody's doing it, but the ultimate end is despair. So let's say something happens to me as your pastor. You know, God calls me away. God kills me. Well, I hope God doesn't. But yeah, I mean, God could kill me and take me home if that's his choice. And who knows, maybe my, my calendar day is already up. I, I'm good with that. But listen, you would have the responsibility of replacing me with the influence of God's word with somebody. I mean, you don't find a clever person. You don't find a, um, one who's really uh, humorous. Um, don't find one that says super duper, no, or anything like that. But, um, but you, what, who are you going to find? Someone who says, this is God's word. We agree with his doctrinal statement. And he will stand on this and not veer. Because if you shift one degree, where are you in 10 years? Way off from this. Way off. Last thought. I'm going to tell you because you're here on a Sunday night. Do you know who this Levite was? The grandson of Moses. Moses' grandson sold himself out, sold himself to Micah, sold himself to the Danites, and he set up an idolatrous cult. His grandfather was famous Moses. Young people. Young people. The faith that you have in Jesus Christ has got to be your own. If you do not stand here, I don't care how godly and faithful your, your parents are to God's word, you can easily stray. You can go so far away. Moses' own grandson must have thought, hmm, the old man, he was insane. All those, all those years in the wilderness must have given him some sun damage in his brain and uh, fried those parts, and so I'm not going to do what he, he did that miserable man, I'm going to live like I want. I'm going to have some money. I'm going to have a change of clothes, 10 shekels a year. And hey, if somebody offers me a better deal in ministry, I'm going. I'm going there. That old man, he'd tell me, no, don't do that. But what did he know? He didn't have five shekels in his pocket. I've got way more than Grandpa Moses. Sad. Do you know who, 
Judges 19 through 21, who that Levite is? I'm not telling. Uh, you'll have to read that on your own. You'll be shocked if you read that, those three chapters as well. Next week, we'll pick up the story. We're going to talk about what the tribe of Dan does and makes more application. And let's pray. Thank you for being here tonight on a beautiful Sunday night. I just pray that you're encouraged and strengthened hey, and committed to God's word is absolute truth, and we will go nowhere else with it. Uh, Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that everybody is here. Families are here. Children are here. Young men are here. Young ladies are here. And there's a reason, because we need to affirm and reaffirm our commitment to your word that we will not stray, we will not seek to do worship and even um, music and you name it, any aspect of our ministry without consulting your word. Um, And it is easy to think we are doing right if we have not first spent time in prayer and in your word. So guard us, Father, and keep this church faithful on your word and on the gospel, the true gospel, the one gospel of grace through faith alone in Christ, until the day of the rapture. Let there be no grandsons of Moses here. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Uh, have a great evening. Uh, we'll